Good morning. Good morning. Uh, this morning, again, before our kids go out to Children's Church, um, if you were here last week, uh, we said that we, we usually do our just kind of brief recap. We do presentations of certain groups of, of students at our back to school blessing, and, and, um, and so we have certain kind of grades that we hit, and we got some of our grades mixed up and missed a couple. So Abigail was here last week and got hers, and, and Tara is here this week. They were out last week. Tara's here this week, and um, so we're going to present Tara Roberts with her Bible today. So just like last week, I'm going to invite Tara to come up, and yeah, Bill and Kevin, if y'all will come up. So this is what Tara, we told Abigail, you hear young, just stand up here. We told Abigail last week that we were going to try to make it up to you so you get your own special individual prayer and Bible presentation. Uh, and so last week I prayed uh, kind of a prayer blessing over Abigail, and so today Katie Ann is going to pray over Tara and, and her school year um, and, and all that. So I'm going to give this to you, Tara, and then let Katie Ann pray for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Tara and the sweet spirit that um, she brings to the life of this church and the life of the school and everybody that she touches. Lord, be with her as she continues through the school year, um, and may she be a light to you, and may she always honor you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Tara. All right, now our, our little ones are going to go to Children's Church, so they'll head out that way. And we've got a nursery over there as well and a cry room in the back if, if you need any of that. Uh, as Chris said, thanks for, for being here this morning. And, and um, what, we, what we lack in, in quantity this morning in singers, we made up for in quality. That was, that was a great and uplifting time of worship. And I, I had the thought as I was worshiping together with y'all this morning that like the old gong show, there should just be something like, in a particularly good morning of worship, like if the sermon is just going rough, just somebody should be able to gong it and we just go back to singing. Um, but then I thought I would be really nervous doing that, so, so maybe that's not a good idea. Uh, but it's great to, to be together uh, to worship this morning. I don't know if you could read the, the, the scripture that was on, I know it was kind of a bright screen at the end, but that, that idea of Jesus being, Jesus... Uh, in that scripture says, I am the resurrection and the life, and whoever comes to me will have life even though he dies. And there's this, this theme then in Jesus' words there that permeates throughout scripture that we're going to kind of be looking at today um, about life, uh, or life kind of being born out of death, and this, to not get too Disney about it, but this circle of life that, that kind of happens. Um, and so we're going to look at that today. Uh, but last week, we talked about dark and chaotic waters, and that's where we're going to kind of start to, but, um, and, and how dark and chaotic waters throughout Scripture represent evil and death and danger. And so I think this week, uh, there have been more reminders of just that in our world uh, and the, the presence of dark and chaotic waters. Uh, and, and this morning, uh, my, my thoughts have been with, with our friends at, at the Temple Bible Church who are worshiping for the first time this morning uh, after their pastor, uh, Pastor Gary, passed away this week, and, and just the, the strange mix of emotions that must come with for, for them, um, and, and others in our, our country who are literally dealing with dark and chaotic water, waters in Florida as they brace for uh, a hurricane, and for the Bahamas as, as they brace for that that's now a Category 5 hurricane, 
And so even just within our world, we see the metaphorical dark waters and literal dark waters that, that threaten. Uh, and so I want to pray uh, over anyone experiencing dark and chaotic waters this morning to begin. Um, maybe you know someone like that. Maybe you are in dark and chaotic waters. I want to pray over uh, some of those situations specifically um, and invite us to pray over those uh, that, that you may have in your own lives as well. So let me pray, uh, and then we'll get into our lesson for this morning. Our Father in heaven, uh, God, we, we are thankful for the, the many numerous imageries of of life, of energy, of renewal coming as, as rivers in wastelands, uh, of your grace and your love flooding over us, God. Uh, as we are reminded countless times in our songs, uh, in scripture, of the ways in which you bring light into darkness and life in places where there is death and decay. So God, this morning... Um, as we are mindful of, of friends, of family in our community who are, are mourning the loss of, of their pastor and of a, a friend, um, a husband, a father, uh, God, we, we pray that you be with, uh, with Gary's family and with the, the family at, at TBC as they gather on, on what must be, I know, a, a, a difficult uh, and painful morning in some ways. Uh, but in other ways, God, a day of, of relief and rejoicing uh, as, as his struggle and, and battle with cancer um, is, is complete. And so, God, we pray for them. We pray that you lead them through this time of, of dark and chaotic waters. Uh, for others, God, maybe here this morning uh, who are experiencing that in their lives, for those who may be mourning uh, physical deaths of friends or family members for, uh, for those in our state in, in the Midland Odessa area who are mourning after another shooting yesterday, God, would you bring them through dark and chaotic waters? Uh, for those who may be struggling, God, and, and feel as if they are drowning in their own dark and chaotic waters, God, would you bring rescue and redemption? Uh, for those, God, bracing for literal waters uh, and storms. Uh, would you bring peace? Uh, and, and God, we pray that, that as that storm bears down on, uh, on those in its path, uh, that there would be minimal loss of life and damage, that, that, that you would strengthen those uh, who are bracing for that, um, and that you would, God, provide uh, what is needed for them now uh, and in the potential aftermath of what is to come. And God, we pray as we open your word today and as we journey through scripture that you continue to open our hearts and our minds to the ways that your spirit uh, has moved within and amongst your people for countless generations. And may it encourage and inspire us as we are reminded of the ways in which your spirit still moves within us today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, okay, so as I said last week, all of these, uh, this series, the lessons are going to kind of build on each other as we go. And so just to do a very brief recap, uh, especially if you weren't here last week, we kind of covered three kind of layered metaphorical uh, elements of water that we find in Scripture. Uh, and so this is what we kind of discussed last week. 
uh, we started with the idea that danger and evil are dark and chaotic waters and how this imagery is seen throughout the narrative of Scripture. Uh, then we talked about how people then who act out in violence against each other uh, or who rebel against God are also dark and chaotic waters and how enemies rage and nations that are opposed to God and God's people uh, rage and are like raging seas. Uh, but then the idea that God is the hope in the midst of the dark and chaotic waters. And so this kind of leads us then to where we're going to be today, which is this idea um, that as we, as we see this kind of dual nature of water in Scripture, that, that if, if dark and chaotic waters represent death and danger and evil, then we repeatedly find this idea of, of rivers of life, of, of streams, uh, of mercy, uh, of, of this other picture of water as something that brings about life um, and renewal. And specifically, I think we find this repeated theme of, of salvation coming literally through the waters. Uh, there's this picture repeatedly, this connective narrative thread of, of salvation coming by going through or passing through waters in which we find renewal and regeneration and redemption. And I think the other thing that we find connected to that then is that this salvation is often connected to the Ruach of God. And Ruach is the Hebrew word for spirit. Um, and so we're going to find some of these connective threads. And kind of as we did last week, we're going to kind of take some broad strokes throughout Scripture. Last week we looked kind of metaphorically at some, some poetry and prophecy and stuff like that. And today we're going to kind of look at how some of these things are played, played out in, in narratives that we find. So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 6. Uh, Genesis chapter 6. This is a story. Uh, these, are, these are stories that you're probably going to be familiar with, many of you. Um, but we're going to kind of touch down and just look at kind of some, some moments in these stories where we find some of these things at work. Uh, so if we pick up in Genesis 6, again, we're not too far, of course, uh, from the, the creation narrative at this point. But if you look in verse 3, it says, Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever. Now, if your Bible's like mine, it may have a footnote down there that says, or my spirit will not remain in humans forever. Those sound very different to me. That's an important distinction, I think, but we're not going to spend much, much time there this morning. Uh, my spirit will not contend with or remain with humans forever, for they are mortals. Their days will be 120 years. And so you skip down then to verse 5, and basically God's just fed up with humans, and he's ready to just hit the reset button, quite literally. Uh, it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every incl inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. That's a lot of absolutes. I, I try to stay away from absolute language. <laughs> but this narrative is, wants us to get something, that everyone is only evil all the time. Period. That's it. Uh, except there's one exception we're going to get to in a minute. But before we get there... Just to drive this point home, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. These are tough times for God. Um, so the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So you've got this one guy who basically saved all of us, 
everyone else is terrible all the time, but Noah found favor. And so, it says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. Again, we have this idea of violence coming and corrupting the earth and bringing it back into disorder, as we talked about last week. Uh, So God, of course, tells Noah to build an ark, and you have that kind of uh, narrative played out in the rest of of chapter 6 and chapter 7. Then you get to the end of chapter 7. This is the, after all that has happened, the end of chapter 7 and verse 24. It says, The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. But God remembered Noah. So we start this story with everyone is evil, but Noah found favor. Now we come, but God remembered Noah. This is our second but somebody, and we're going to come to a third one in just a minute. God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth. Uh, So this is where we're going to see some repeated narratives, some repeated themes in these narratives. It says, when he sent a wind over the earth, that's the word ruach, this idea of the spirit of God. And so this word in Hebrew uh, is a word that can mean something like wind, it can mean breath, it can mean spirit, and it basically is, is kind of, it has this imagery of something that brings life. That the, the breath of a person, when we say when someone's breath has been taken away, like when someone has breathed their last breath, that is when their life leaves them, Right? Uh, and so breath is associated with life. So too, wind is associated with life within nature, especially in, in Hebrew kind of writings and understandings. Um, and so you see this word ruach come up in many different ways, but it's all connected back to God and the life-giving and life-breathing aspect of God within his people and within creation. So he sent a ruach. His ruach went over the earth. His, the wind went over the earth and the waters receded. Again, this is the picture we had in creation, right? The water is receded, the water is being separated. All this is, is connected back. So the waters recede. Uh, later, it says that, uh, that Noah sends out a dove to find somewhere to perch because uh, there was water all over the surface of the earth. So again, the earth is covered with water. We have these connected imageries back to creation. And we have the Spirit of God existing now to bring about new life. And so the story of Noah is simultaneously a story of death and new life. It is life coming out of death. I've talked about the story of Noah before and how, um, you know, again, there's, there's several of these Old Testament stories that we just kind of leave parts of them out in, in the children's ministry versions of them, right? We talked about that a lot with Jonah. Um, this one's the same. Uh, I think I've, I've, I've mentioned before, there's no children's, you know, there's a lot of children's ministry, like coloring sheets. That's kind of typically how I think about these things. There's a lot of coloring sheets of, of the ark on the water. I've never seen a coloring sheet of, like, people trying to climb up the outside of the ark, which had to be happening, right? Um, like, the violence of that part and, like, the screams of the people on the outside isn't something you really hear a lot. Uh, but this is a violent story. It's a story of death, and it's a story of life coming out of death all of which is connected to the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God bringing life out of death. Uh, Now, there's an interesting postscript of sorts to this story. Again, it doesn't come up in much children's ministry uh, versions of the story. But if you keep reading kind of past the rainbow part of it, again, like the the children's ministry version kind of goes, the waters went down, no one and his family get off the ark, God says, I'm never going to flood the earth again, there's a rainbow, everyone goes home happy, 
But if you keep reading, what basically happens is Noah's like, what should I do first? It it doesn't say it this way, but he's like, we need some wine. So so he plants a vineyard, um, and he gets drunk, and he passes out naked in his tent. Again, there's no children's coloring sheet of Noah naked with a bottle of wine in his tent. I haven't found that one, at least. Um, so, but that happens. That's a thing that happens in the Bible. Uh, and so one of his sons, Ham, comes in. This has nothing connected to water, but it, the themes are kind of similar, and I don't want to get away from Noah without talking about this, because I think it's just fascinating. Um, his son, Ham, comes in and, and then runs and tell his, tells his brothers, hey, dad's passed out in the tent, um, as a son m- might do if he finds his dad naked and passed out drunk in his tent. So he runs and tells his brothers, uh, Shem and Japheth, and Shem and Japheth then come in the tent, and they walk in backwards so they don't see their dad naked, and they have a blanket draped over them, and they cover their dad with a blanket and, and try to keep his dignity intact by not seeing him in this position. Um, and it's this really weird story, kind of added on to the end, uh, but I think it, it, it says something very important for us. Because I said that, so you, you start, there's this but Noah moment, but God, and then you get to, it's in, uh, if you want to read it, the whole thing later, it's in Genesis 9, and then in verse 23 it says, but Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it over. So you've got but Noah, but God, and now but Shem and Japheth. Uh, and I think there's something for us to take there, because I think this, this causes us to ask ourselves questions like, how do we respond to people when they are at their lowest? Uh, how do we respond to people when they are at their most vulnerable, when they've fallen, when they've done something just incredibly stupid, when they've done something out of character? Um, how do we respond to people in those moments? Do we go and, and run and, and gossip and mock and laugh, as Ham seems to do, and is, is basically cursed by his dad afterwards for having that reaction? Um, or do we act in grace um, and, and embrace and, and in ways that try to restore the dignity and value of the person who has fallen or the person who may be marginalized or the person who may be outside, as Shem and Japheth do. Uh, there's a picture here, I think, of, of, of how we should respond uh, to those we find in vulnerable positions, uh, to people who have fallen, and to people who need some grace extended to them in their lives. Uh, because at some point, maybe not literally, but we're all Noah passed out naked in the tent, Right? And we need someone to extend us some grace and not laugh at us. Uh, Now, that's sort of disconnected from the water metaphor that we're following through the story. But I think it is connected to this idea of of throughout Scripture, there's the idea that the Spirit of God is bringing life and grace and renewal into places that need it. And Shem and Japheth are a part of that in Genesis 9. Um, And we as Christians are called to be a part of that as well. Uh, Because the story of Noah is one of, of renewal and redemption coming uh, out of a place of of ugliness and violence and death. Uh, Okay, so that's the first big story. Becomes a very big story, uh, obviously, in kind of Israel's history, the story of of Noah. So you fast forward then to Exodus. We get to the beginning of Exodus, and we meet a guy named Moses. uh, And and by this time, the Israelites are are enslaved in Egypt. uh, And and so Pharaoh gives orders for all the Hebrew babies, uh, Hebrew baby boys, to be killed. Uh, this just kind of brings about more babies because the midwives resist this. All this happens. Uh, and, and so as they're g- given the orders to be killed, though, Moses' mom puts Moses in a what? 
in a basket or a, anybody? An ark, yeah. It's the same word. Same word, that, that's, that word comes up twice in Scripture, once to describe what Noah builds and once to describe what Moses is put in. Moses is put in a small little ark. <laughs> and so Noah is saved through the waters in an ark. Moses is saved through the waters in an ark. Uh, and so then you, you fast forward later to Mo, in Moses' life to the story of the crossing of the Red Sea, the story of the Exodus. And this is where we're going to pick up now in chapter 14. Uh, so Moses, uh, with a lot of help from God, uh, has convinced Pharaoh to let uh, the Israelites go. Uh, and so the Israelites leave, and then Pharaoh thinks, oh, nope, there goes all our labor. We should go get them back. Like, what were we doing? Now we're going to have to do everything. So they rush after them now to get them back, uh, and God parts the waters, which we're going to come to now as the, the, the Israelites come up to the Red Sea. and are like, oh, no, we're trapped. What are we going to do? Why did you do this to us, Moses? Uh, and so then in Exodus 14, verse 21, it says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind, there's that word again, a strong east ruach, and turned it into dry land. Again, this is, this is almost the exact same imagery from creation, that the Spirit of God is over the waters and then separates waters so that dry land appears. And that's exactly what's happening in the Exodus story. The Spirit of God is over the waters, drives it back so that the people can live and go through on dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Uh, so they go through. The Egyptians then try to go through as well, but the waters come down over them. Uh, and if you skip down to verse 28, the water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. Uh, so again, another children's ministry coloring sheet we don't have, right? Of Moses standing there looking at a bunch of dead Egyptians uh, after they've crossed the, the sea. Uh, but you can, and I think we talked about this in the Wednesday night series that we did, you can imagine the emotional impact that that must have on these people, right? That now you've got these, these people who have been enslaving them for generations literally laying at their feet dead. Um, and there's a vast who knows what in front of them and their dead slave masters behind them. Now what do we do? <laughs> uh, we're kind of in this brave, unknown new world now. Uh, but the first thing they do is they sing. And so you have then, after that, this song that they sing to God, and we see again some of the same language. If you skip to verse 8 of chapter 15, it says, By the blast of your nostrils. And now we're really stretching how we think of the word ruach, because blast is the same word, ruach. So by the blast, by the wind of your nostrils, <laughs> uh, think about what that would entail, <laughs> and you can get kind of a gross picture. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, the surging waters came up like a wall, the deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. And then in verse 10, but you blew with your ruach, with your breath, and the sea covered them, them being the Egyptians. They sank 
like lead in the mighty waters. And so we find the same narrative then in the Exodus story. That the Exodus story is simultaneously a story of death and new life. And it harkens back to the creation narrative and it continues to pull this thread forward of of life and renewal coming through the waters um, and coming and being born out of of death, even death and, and destruction and violence in many ways. So you go forward then to the New Testament. We're not going to spend much time here, but we're kind of touching down on Jesus' baptism uh, a little bit every week because it's going to come up a lot later. But you get to Jesus' baptism then. And what do we find? We find, again, the dove, same imagery from the Noah story, and the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. Uh, And it's sort of this anointing for Jesus. This is really the beginning of his his ministry, um, is his baptism and his uh, anointing of sorts of the Spirit that happens in these waters of baptism. And this kind of um, propels him to his ministry uh, and and to this calling that he has. Um, And then he goes on later to tell his disciples that it's going to be necessary for him to leave or for him to die so that the Spirit of God can come and be with them. So you have this continued thread of of life coming through death and the Spirit of God being very much involved in all of that. And so all of this then is the narrative that we are born into, that that our story too is one of of death and life. Um, And and you can probably think of ways that has been true in your life, uh, maybe in literal ways. Uh, Or again, maybe in in metaphorical ways of of times when God has brought you through dark and chaotic waters and something new has been born out of that that you may not have ever could have expected or or foreseen, but but something was born out of that. And when we engage those situations faithfully, where there is darkness, where there is fear, where there is danger, where there are dark and chaotic waters, when we engage those things faithfully uh, in, in, in a way that, that trusts in God and remains connected to Him, God brings newness and He brings life out of those situations. Uh, and that is the picture of baptism that we have played out for us in the New Testament. Uh, it's the picture that, that Paul describes in Colossians Um, or if you want to turn over there, this is in Colossians 2, verse 6. And I want you to listen to how a lot of these same themes that we've been talking about are are picked up on as Paul writes about it. This is Colossians 2, verse 6. He says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through your faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. So again, death bringing forth life. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ 
who forgave all your sins, having canceled the charge of your legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the power, powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing in, over them by the cross. Uh, so this beautiful picture in Colossians of, of death being defeated by the Spirit of God and by life being born out of that. Uh, and the cross is the ultimate picture of that. And so Colossians 3 then goes on to, to kind of more spell out what does is, what is this life look like then um, as people who have been uh, bought out of death and into life in Jesus. Uh, and repeatedly, again, we, we see the New Testament writers um, picking up on this concept and this narrative uh, as they think about baptism and what it means for, for the Christian life. And they keep connecting it back to their Story. So we're not going to go through these um, all the way, but I, I do want to at least reference these. Uh, but in 1 Corinthians 10, um, Paul connects the, 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 the idea of baptism back to Moses. Where he says uh, the Israelites were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and that Christ was, was with them spiritually in spirit as they are going through that process. Uh, Peter then, too, connects baptism uh, back to Noah, the other uh, story in the Old Testament we looked at when he says that, that in the ark uh, that, that Noah and his family were saved uh, and that this water symbolizes baptism and now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body. Uh, in other words, it's not anything about the water cleansing you that, that is what saves you, but it is the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, this idea of death bringing forth salvation and, and life. And it continues then as the New Testament writers think about baptism. This is the imagery they are building on when they talk about baptism and its purpose for the Christian life. Um, and all of it for them is filtered through the cross, which is this ultimate picture of life, of death, resurrection, and new life. Uh, and so again, when we live faithful lives then uh, to God, we see this happen within our own lives. One of the most powerful stories I think of that kind of in, in somewhat modern example is the story of Horatio Spafford. Uh, I say somewhat modern because Horatio Spafford was alive in the 1800s. <laughs> Some of you may know Horatio's story, uh, but Horatio Spafford was a businessman in, in Chicago in the 1800s. Uh, and 1871 was a rough year for the Spafford family. Uh, Horatio had acquired a lot of financial uh, and real estate interest in Chicago, and in the great Chicago fire of, of 1871, he lost most of his real estate uh, investments and, and buildings and, and business ventures in Chicago. And this was just a few months after his family uh, had lost their four-year-old son, uh, who died just a few months earlier than that. And so this was a tough year for the Spafford family. Uh, so a couple of years later, 1873, uh, Horatio is still trying to pick up the pieces of his business uh, ventures from, from the fire, and, and they're still struggling with all of that. And, and, and Horatio and his wife decide they just need to get out of the country for a while, and, and they're going to go visit some friends in Europe who are doing some mission work in Europe, and they're going to go spend some time in Europe and just get away from, from all this that, that has kind of torn their life apart in Chicago. Uh, so they decide they're going to go over, overseas to Europe, but it ends up that Horatio has to stay back in Chicago to kind of tie up some loose ends because they're still dealing with all this stuff from the fire. 
So he's got to take care of some business stuff in Chicago, and he sends his wife and two daughters ahead of him. And while his wife and two daughters are on the trip to Europe, the ship that they are on sinks, and his two daughters die. His wife makes it to Europe, and there's no texting, there's no internet. His wife sends this telegraph back to Horatio that says, Saved alone, what shall I do? And there's a a few other things that continue there, but that's the basis of it. So you've got his wife who's now alone in Europe. Horatio's alone in Chicago. Horatio now has to make the trip over to Europe by himself, going over literally the same waters where his two daughters have now died, knowing that his wife is waiting on the other side alone. And so on the trip over, he's got a lot of free time on his hands, uh, he writes this poem, which it's believed that this is the original manuscript of it. Um, I know you can't read the words, but you probably know the words pretty well. Uh, These are the words from the poem that Horatio wrote, again, with just think about the weight of the last two years that Horatio is dealing with on this boat ride. And so he writes these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, you can, you can hear him being buffeted, right? Uh, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Uh, I don't know if Horatio had Colossians 2 in his mind when he wrote this, but this is the message of Colossians 2. And this is the message that Horatio clings to in his moment of, of incredible deep and chaotic waters. He says, this is what I'm holding to in these waters. The fourth verse that he wrote, there have been other verses that have been added to it later, but the fourth one that he wrote uh, says, And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a, as a scroll. The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, in other words, even as I wait and am here in this broken world, uh, even so it is well with my soul. Uh, And so it is Horatio's faith and his ability to see the streams uh, of mercy that God is bringing into dark and chaotic waters that gets him through this time. Uh, And he and his wife go on to do incredible mission work um, in Europe over the rest of their life and kind of have this second phase of life where they do amazing things um, and and have another family and kind of another uh, set of kids. It sounds too flippant, but, but they have more kids Um, and have kind of this next phase of life in Europe that is born out of this chaotic and dark waters that God is bringing newness into this part of their lives. Um, And God does that in our lives as well. He brings newness um, into our darkness. He brings brings redemption and life. This is the imagery that we see repeatedly in Scripture through baptism, and it's the imagery that we find 
uh, when the Spirit of God is at work within us and when we allow the Spirit of God uh, to take charge of our lives um, and, and to, uh, to, to have control over us in a way that we give up control to God and we die to ourselves. Uh, and part of the way that we do that is by dying to ourselves and being buried with Christ in baptism and raising to live the Spirit-led and Spirit-filled life. And so this morning then, uh, as we continue in song, as the band comes back up, we're going to sing these words from Horatio Spafford um, and, and, and call ourselves uh, to this idea uh, of trusting in God no matter what waters we find ourselves in. And so we'll sing uh, this song, these words, uh, as, as we think about those things and as we think about uh, Christ's invitation uh, to us uh, through the cross and through his life. And so we'll sing this and then share in communion together. So would you stand as we sing together this morning?
our prayer of confession together as we remain standing. And I'll pray the parts in white, and then together we'll pray the parts in yellow. Father, we confess to each other and to you, our Creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. You may be seated.